Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 to 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It's great to see you here this morning. My name's Jamie Mulvaney. I'm an associate minister here. It's wonderful uh, to, to see you this morning. And we've spent uh, the past seven Sundays uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And today we see that God's people, they've left Egypt. And the writer of Hebrews, has, he sort of pressed skip scene on what's been happening. Skip scene on the wilderness years, and now uh, God's people have arrived, they're in Canaan, and they're coming up against uh, the invincible, unreachable fortress, the mighty city of Jericho. And so up until now, we've been uh, looking at Faith's National Portrait Gallery. Uh, but as it were, let's, let's turn the picture on its side to go landscape. And so perhaps it should be a Faith's National Landscape Gallery today, or perhaps even a Faith's National Cityscape Gallery. It's a, it's a chance for us to zoom out, to zoom out of our own little lives and to see just how effective our faith can be uh, out there. Because we too all have a Jericho, in our lives that we want to win for God. Clapham, London, or if you're from, from somewhere else, your, your city, your workplace, your family, your community. And so as, as grand as it might sound, today I want to speak on how to win a city for God. How to win a city for God. And it's, it's this, this curious combination of, of the city of Jericho and of Rahab that, that teach us how. And we, we find the instructions, the strategy for, for how you do this in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter six, in the first verse, it says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Sounds a bit like lockdown. Perhaps a bit like a Brixton prison. But Clapham is a bit like Jericho, isn't it? If you think about the, the, the borough that we're in Lambeth here, I mean, let's, let's face it. The, the barriers are quite literally up when it comes to housing affordability. And when we think about God's kingdom, when we think about rough sleepers, child poverty, adult poverty, unemployment, Lambeth, it fares as bad or worse than the entire national average. And in, in the past year, uh, it's been recorded as having the worst crime rate for drugs and weapons anywhere inside London. And you and I will never forget the, the photos on the front pages of newspapers all around the world of, of the bandstand as we pay tribute to Sarah Everard. And then there's uh, the percentage of people not in church, 98.3%, 98.3%. Church decline in, in South London is worse than the national average. And, and, and the people you see around you, you know many of them, their, their walls are up, their defenses are up, not interested in Jesus Christ, angry with Jesus Christ. And these are seemingly insurmountable walls for, for you and me to climb. 
over, over the summer, we uh, took a break from the city, and after a long car journey back uh, to London, uh, I arrived home, I popped out uh, to get some milk uh, here at the shops in Clapham. And I was just so struck, I was struck by uh, my love for Clapham, the, the diversity of people, the, the vibrancy of, of this place. You know, we have more people in their 20s and 30s here in Clapham than, than most of the UK, more people crammed with the image of our God. And the next day we uh, hopped on a bus to head into the Royal Academy of Arts, the RA, and London is an amazing place. We went into the RA to the summer exhibition. Uh, some of the art I, I really liked, but if I'm being honest, I actually found the people watching a lot more interesting than a lot of the art that was up there. But, but London is incredible, isn't it? There's so much diversity, so much that is compelling. And what does Joshua see? What does Joshua see when he arrives in Jericho after his long journey? In Joshua chapter 5, in verse 13, it says, When Joshua, if you remember Joshua, he, he was the one who took over from Moses in leading God's people. It says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servants? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You and I stand on holy ground. We stand on holy ground here in this building, but we also stand on holy ground, holy ground out there too. In the early 20th century, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The darkest place out there can be light when it is infused with the presence of Jesus Christ. And as it goes for the world, so it goes for us. We are holy people on holy ground. It's this recurring theme of Joshua. Before they cross the River Jordan, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Are you and I ready? Are we ready for all that God has for us? Are we set apart for all that is to come? I find that for me personally, uh, both a combination of, of my wife and the Holy Spirit are, are quite the duo <laughs> when it comes to helping me see my own sin. And if, if I'm going to free Clapham from its idols, then I need to be free from Clapham's idols. I need to be free from its priorities and its practices. So you and I, we, we stand on holy ground. Secondly, you start from a place of victory. In Joshua chapter six, where it says Jericho was securely barred, the next verse says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. And why, why is God speaking in the past tense? You know, God's people, they haven't even gone into Jericho yet, and he says, I've already delivered it for you. Last time I spoke here, I, I, I spoke about how uh, you've got a choice. You and I have a choice to either be a civilian 
or a Christian, to be a civilian or a Christian, and that you can't do both of those things because the Christian life is a life of battle. But if the battle belongs to God, then there's only going to be one endpoint of that battle, isn't there? And so if that's the endpoint of the battle, then that can also be the starting point of the battle too. And God's kingdom is advancing. It's on the move. And the only question is, will you and I, will we be part of it? I wonder if you knew that Joshua wasn't always called Joshua. He was called Hoshea. And Moses renamed him Joshua. Uh, Hoshea meant salvation. Hoshea meant to save. But Joshua means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And so every time he spoke to Joshua, every time that he was spoken about, every time that he was referred to, his whole life would point to just one thing and one thing alone, that the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And Joshua is the name from which we get Jesus. And you and I, we stand on this side of the cross and the resurrection. You and I start from a place of victory. Then the next thing we can learn is, is to go around the city. Go around the city. See what it says in, in Hebrews, in our passage today, in, in verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. So does this mean that you and I need to go around the M25? The, the, the detail we see here in Joshua chapter 6 is that uh, they, they march around the city for six days. Then on the seventh day, uh, they go seven times with the priests blowing uh, trumpets. And then at the long blast, it says, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I love uh, this image and the caption. Christians in Ukraine worship God at the metro station in Kyiv. They sing of forgiveness, salvation, mercy, joy, peace, and the people of Ukraine. I believe that God is hearing those voices. But wherever we are, wherever we are, going around the city is... It, 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 it's a principle that just works. There's a, a leading economist, Brian Arthur, who's come up with uh, really complex theories of economics, so complex that when I Googled him, I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, but he says this. He says that if you think of a research problem as being like a medieval walled city, then a lot of people will attack it head-on like a battering ram. And they will storm the gates and try to smash through the defences with sheer intellectual power and brilliance. I just camp outside the city. I wait, and I think, until one day, maybe after I've turned to a completely different problem, the drawbridge comes down and the defenders say, we surrender. The answer to the problem comes all at once. And you and I, we, we need a, a 360 degree perspective on the battles that we're facing, on the problems that we're facing. And you get that by partnering with God in prayer. A couple of weeks ago uh, here, I caught someone just on the way out and asked them how they're doing. And uh, 
they describe the problem that they're facing at work at the moment, which sounds really full-on. It's basically in a catch-22, just a really difficult situation with their boss. And it's God's intention for, for this person to make an impact in that place, to, to make a difference in that place. And you know, as he was telling me that the situation that he was in, I was thinking, I've got no wisdom here. But let's pray. And we prayed, and we prayed from a place of victory. And the next week I saw him and he said, Jamie, the, the atmosphere had changed. The situation had changed in that workplace. And I don't know about you, but for me, the past week, there have probably been about 10 things that have come up and I've thought, I don't know how I'm going to face this. But what you and I need to do is to partner with God in prayer and to start from a place of victory. The point is, is that we, we need him. We, we rely on him. And the danger is that, that you and I, we can take things into our own hands. And, and, and perhaps we, we try to go into our problems like a battering ram. Perhaps some of us might like to try to run away from our problems. But actually what God wants to say to us is that you already have the victory. You already have the victory in Clapham. You already have the victory in London. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Because in reality, this is not so much about a principle. This is, is not about some sort of life hack, but it's about us as people going with God's presence. And notice that God's people, they, they, they carry the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the symbol of God's presence. Joshua is a man who is obsessed with, is defined by the presence of the Lord. When he was with Moses, he'd go outside the camp to the tent of meeting and, and linger in the presence of God. And then in, in chapter one, what, what Josh reminded us of at the start of the, the service, there's this promise to, to be strong and very courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this is about God's presence with you by his Holy Spirit. But it's also a matter of obedience. The God's people, they did exactly uh, as God told them. You know, like marching around a city is gonna actually achieve anything. If Jesus tells you to, to stand on your head, then stand on your head. If he tells you to quit your job, quit your job. If he goes, tells you to fill ceremonial jars with water at a wedding. You know, for me, there was a time I was uh, working for a church, volunteering for a church, and I didn't have anywhere to live. And I thought, in human terms, this is crazy, but God, I'm believing that this is what you're calling me to. And the Lord has provided for me every step of the way. And there'll be things in the Bible that don't make sense to you. There'll be promptings of the Holy Spirit that don't make sense to you, but his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So do whatever Jesus tells you. Do you see how, how standing on holy ground, starting from a place of victory, going around the city in prayer, being in lockstep with God's presence and doing whatever Jesus tells you to do. Do you see how all these things, this is how we exercise faith. This is how Hebrews tells us that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. But then, but then there's the awkward inclusion of Rahab. Is she really a hero or a, a heroine of the faith? 
You know, while Joshua is known as the Lord saves, Rahab is always referred to in the Bible as a prostitute. You know, in that age, in that time, in that era, she was the wrong, occupa- wrong occupation, the wrong location, the wrong sex, the wrong nationality, the wrong religion. When I uh, looked around the, the RA at the summer exhibition, as I say, some of the work I really liked, some of the work I thought maybe I could have done a better job of curating uh, which pictures go where in this gallery. And there's a danger that we do that with, with Rahab too. But try for a minute to put yourself in her shoes. Now, no little girl dreams of one day turning out like her. And can you think of the pain and the shame and the guilt and the identity and the, and the system and the track that she was stuck in? And yet, here she is in Hebrews 11.31. It says that she was not killed with those who are disobedient. Maybe you're thinking, well, surely she was disobedient. She was a prostitute. But the the Hebraic word that we read, uh, the word that we read for obedience, it's a Greek word, actually, the word we read for obedience in Hebrews, it's, it's, it's interchangeable with the word for believing, with believing. So obedience equals believing. And Rahab knew that good works wouldn't save her. Rahab knew that, humanly speaking, she wouldn't be saved. And she needed something outside of herself. And faith meant that that she welcomed in the spies. And by so doing, she welcomed in the Lord. And this is the same. It's the same for you and for me and for everyone here in London. Will we welcome in Jesus Christ? Will we welcome in him? How quickly we write off others. And we we other those who are not like us. The American pastor Tim Keller writes that the city humbles us, showing us how little we are actually shaped by the story and the pattern of the gospel. Because the, the gospel is as much for Rahab as it is for you and me. Jesus, he came and died for us. He was hung on a cross outside a city wall over a city for each one of us, even though we were totally alien to him, totally other to him. And faith in Jesus deals with our prejudices. It also deals with our pride. I mean, the the spies, they needed Rahab, didn't they? Tim Keller goes on, he says that the gospel alone can give us the humility, meaning I have much to learn from the city the confidence I have much to give to the city and the courage that I have nothing to fear from the city to do effective ministry that honors God and blesses others. For our own continuing spiritual growth and well-being, we need the city perhaps more than the city needs us. What, after all, makes a city? Well, it's a landscape that is filled with individual portraits. And that's what this grand epic is all about. More than destroying and conquering a city, it's about what the book of Joshua says, is Rahab and all those that belonged to her. It's about each and every Rahab. Because God is not interested in bricks and mortar. He is interested in each and every person that makes up Clapper, 
that makes up this city of London. And what London needs most, more than anything else, is this message of grace, that the Lord saves. And so Rahab, she she places the the symbol of her covenant with the spies uh, on her window. It's this this scarlet cord. And, And that's why she demands so unashamedly her part in the victory, the safety and the security for her and for those that belong to her. Because she has this, she has this covenant with the spies. And, and God has made a covenant with you and me. Not with a scarlet cord, but with the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ. This blood, incidentally, that actually Rahab is in the bloodline of Jesus, Matthew tells us. But it's Jesus' blood that is more than enough to deal with our sin, to deal with our guilt, to deal with our shame and to transform us. Just like Joshua, Rahab had learned the secret of God's presence and obedience, of dependence and of victory. In other words, she'd learned faith. And so might you and I be as undaunted and as adventurous as Rahab because the Lord saves. The Lord saves Rahab, the Lord saves Joshua, the Lord saves you and me, and may the Lord save Clapham, and may the Lord save London. In Jesus' name, amen.